Welcome back to L&D Behind the Curtain. And Alex, this is our fifth show already. And um, I think things are gaining momentum, aren't they? Feedback's been phenomenal. And it's uh, really good to see that the work we put into the show each week has been enjoyed and appreciated. I think people are really liking the kind of straightforward and, and honest approach from the guests. Yeah, it's been great. And in a few weeks' time, actually, we've got Di McDonald on, who's obviously a client of ours, but director of learning at St. James's Place. And it was really her, I guess, last summer when we worked with her and her team on a podcast that inspired us to really go this route and really find people that were prepared to be candid and open or what have you. And that was really the style we went for, right? So something we wanted to repeat for, for behind the curtain. I think it's working. Yeah, I think it's simply a case of uh, people that are successful and that have achieved things don't mind sharing some of their failures as well as some of their successes as, you know, really it's just all part of getting it right. Yeah. And I hope that's where our listeners can really benefit, um, you know, from our guests uh, sharing their experience and talking about the, you know, the projects that define them or, or challenge them the most. And I think this week's uh, no different. The whole idea behind developing the training package wasn't about this is how you talk to somebody about their career. It was around this is how you recognise the type of conversation that whoever just knocked on your door wants to have with you. This week we've got another leader from the world of L&D, Rhys Davis from Tilbury Douglas, which is formerly the construction part of uh, Interserve and someone again that likes to tell it how it is really. What I like about this one is that Reese, as, as he freely admits, isn't trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes to the initiative he's launching, but rather to change the existing culture in his organisation uh, to allow people to get the most from their managerial training. And, you know, being in recruitment myself, I think it's really interesting to see just how employee attraction and retention are such important drivers for the programme he's developing. It's like any other sales pitch, to be fair. You've got to sell it to the business. And what they want to know is, how much is it going to cost me? Where are the benefits? How am I going to realise those benefits? And what do the benefits look like? So, hi, Reese. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Good morning, both. So I'll probably just uh, jump straight into it and really get an idea about you and um, just to get to know you a little bit better. So do you want to start telling us a little bit about your career, maybe pre and also within learning and development? Oh, crikey. Okay. Well, originally I, I uh, went into the teaching profession, uh, found out quite quickly that I didn't enjoy it. Um, children being what they are, as in children. Um, <laughs> so I actually found a route into adult education later on through, uh, I joined the, the NHS as an IT training manager, so it combined two things for me, the interest in learning and development with IT. So I was quite into computers back in the 1980s, which is a long time ago now, I guess. <laughs> and everything's changed an awful lot since then. So it was a progression route, really. And I've gone through the IT bit and then came out of the NHS into the construction industry and never really looked back. I had two and a half years out of the construction industry, absolutely hated it, and came back to it with Interserve at the time, uh, with the responsibility with their shared services team for looking after the construction part of the business. And then as the Interserve group uh, was dissolved and broke up, then I stayed with the construction part of the business. The rest of it got sold off as part of the facilities management buyout, which was fine, but we're now, we, we went down to about 900 people. We're, we're steadily increasing again through just good husbandry really we've got the chief executive says we stick to our knitting so we do more and more of what we're really good at rather than sort of speculating in different parts of the construction industry market 
we know each other already, Reese. Obviously, you're a client of mine, and yeah, we've done some work together, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've seen some of the, the the huge projects that Tilby Douglas undertake. Um, but one of the things that struck us, uh, and we made films about it, uh, was the the great culture at Tilby Douglas. Tell us a little bit about Tilby Douglas and 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 the culture there. Well, Tilbury Douglas is actually probably one of the older construction companies that, that we have in the UK. It was originally formed back in the 1880s, believe it or not. Wow. Went through, has gone through a number of different iterations and different uh, cosmetic looks on it until it was finally bought out to become part of the InterServe group. And then two, three years ago, I think it was November 2020, um, the InterServe group was dissolved and we became Tilbury Douglas once again, sort of going back to our roots, as it were. And um, the culture in the business, I think it's one of the things I like about it. I think that's what brought me back to the construction industry more than anything else, is that, that, that it's a very – it's inclusive. Nobody's beyond being spoken to. Mm-hmm. I mean, genuinely, I went to, I was in the office yesterday morning, and it was quite quiet at the time, um, and the next person into the office who came and sat by me was the chair, uh, Nick Pollard. Uh, and, you know, it's morning, Reese, morning, Nick, uh, and, and, and that's it. You know, that's how it is within the industry. Uh, and generally, that I've found that always to be the case, to be fair. When we've made those films for you, we've concentrated on that kind of early career stuff. We had some apprentices that were lovely. I mean, nervous as hell was getting on camera, delivered what ended up being a, a beautiful film for the Open Doors event last year. We then followed up with uh, a series on the, the women in construction. Tell us a little bit about kind of how you're developing your young people, uh, whether you're looking at graduates only or developing people, etc. How did Tilby Douglas look at that type of thing? Well... <laughs> Big question. Well, small question with a big answer. So we really are interested in both facets of, of early careers. So we bring apprentices in at 18 years of age through the trades with, with Tilbury Douglas Engineering and also into the professional, the technical element of it. So quantity surveying, engineering, site management and so on and so forth. So we bring those apprentices in potentially at level four, potentially at level six. And then we also counter that with bringing in a graduate community as well who've already got their degrees. But, of course, they those guys haven't got the experience of working in the muddy field unless they've spent some time with us as a, a summer placement student or even taken a year out from their university studies. And that in itself can be an opportunity for people because if we've had a summer placement, it means we know what that person's like. So at the end of it, if the site manager turns around and says, Reese, we really need to keep this guy on a, you know, on on the hook so we can come back to us because we think he'd be a valuable employee in the future, then actually we might sponsor that student through their years of university that they have remaining. Yeah. Yeah. So they might come and do a year out with us as well, which means we get to know them even better. We can shape them in our way. They come back, they've got a little bit of experience. They become a graduate. Now, from this year, we're actually going to make a, a more rounded proposition for our graduates. So this is starting in 2023. When a graduate comes into our business, we're going to offer them an opportunity to rotate through different technical parts of the business. So a site manager, for example, might go and do work with the commercial department for three months and then with the design department for three months or the planning or temporary works or just to get a much more rounded experience of what it is, because at 18 years old, you go to university to do a civil engineering degree or a site management degree or whatever it is. Do you really know what it is you want to do when you grow mm, up? Mm. 
you might want to work in the industry, but if you've got exposure to the different parts of it, then it makes a much more informed choice for those guys as well. I mean, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up myself. Yeah, um, but the, Mate, the... I'm sixty and I still don't blink it though. You know, so. <laughs> but the um, what you said there actually is a rant that I go on quite a lot. In that, when I first got into television, that's exactly what you did. You came in for two years. You'd do three months in audio. You'd do three months in editing. You'd do three months in VT in the machine room and then yeah, the technical yeah. side. And then at the end of it, they started to recognise where your passions were, what you were liking, um, where you, what you're good at, and then obviously developed you further. But listen, I don't want to hog this too much. I know Alex wants to get into your day-to-day role. Just for people that don't know Tilbury Douglas, give us a quick flavour of the types of projects that you undertake, in terms of the company, I mean. So we do an awful lot of construction work through regional offices up and down the country. So a lot of lot of it's public sector stuff, so hospitals, uh, prisons, police stations, courtrooms, uh, schools, those sorts of things. But we also have a smaller infrastructure side of the business as well, which focuses mostly on on highways work and working with the water industry as well. So currently we've got a massive project down with uh, uh, Thames Water based out of Reading, which is uh, an interesting project in itself. Um, so, so yeah, that would be the, the breadth of our work. But um, there's an opportunity for people to move between infrastructure and building as well. So you can, you know, work on a water treatment works one one year and then be working on a, a school building the next. Interesting. So I shouldn't call you to, to look at a quote in my extension then. <laughs> you can if you like. You know, I don't mind doing it, but you I don't think you'd be able to afford it. <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to find out a little bit more about your day-to-day role. And I know it's recently changed to include a resourcing element. Uh, so, yeah. you know, interesting to hear a bit more about that. Well, I think we've had a lot of opportunity in the business recently, Alex. And, and to be fair, what's happened is that we've now got a change. We've had a change in the way that the business is structured. We've had a change in leadership within the HR uh, team. And it means that we've now got an opportunity to change the shape of the HR team to deliver what the business needs us to deliver, what the new business needs us to deliver. And as a result of that, we've, we've had a good hard look at ourselves and said, well, OK, look, we're spending an awful lot of money recruiting people that we aren't really looking after because we're just also very, very busy. And we're doing a brilliant job of bringing them in. And we're doing a brilliant job over there of actually educating them and developing them. But only when the managers told us what it is that they want to or need to do next. So why don't we just sort of close that loop, really? And not just bring people in and induct them or onboard them and then pick them up for training and learning and development later on. Why don't we just close that loop and say, we're not just bringing you in. We're going to bring you in. We're going to get you completely embedded in your career pathway. Now, that's nothing new. But over the last five years or so, I think with the the trauma, and it has been a trauma for a lot of people within the business that it's been through, it's sort of stuff that's been cut back on and neglected a little bit because budgets got really tight. You know, we had the pandemic, as everybody keeps referring to. I was fed up of hearing about it, but it did have a massive impact on what we were doing. You know, the business shrank down to probably 900 people, and we're back up to 1,250-odd now. So we're sticking to our knitting, as our chief executive says. We're doing lots more of what it is that we do well, and it's it's working for us. And do you think that also has an effect on talent attraction and talent acquisition? Yeah, we're becoming a bigger player in the in the particular field that we do now. Um, but we need to up our game in certain areas for sure, uh, and that's my job now. To be fair, so getting out to the universities, building relationships with them, and this is nothing new, by the way. The business have been doing this for years and years and years. It's just something that we need to start thinking very, very seriously about. And I do genuinely believe that Tilbury Douglas has got a lot to offer for anybody coming into the business. And those initiatives are they do they tend to be like bespoke? 
learning and development uh, strategies for for career pathways or are you utilizing things like apprenticeships and upskilling you know for people on the job we bring apprentices in as onto an apprenticeship program at various different levels three four six to scratch the surface really so we bring them in as a as an apprentice at that level but then if we've come in as a level three or four apprentice once they've completed that first apprenticeship there's an opportunity for everybody to go on and do the next level of apprenticeship but they're not an apprentice any longer we call them an employee so then anything beyond that it's a development program which just happens to be funded through the apprenticeship levy and have you had any challenges on implementation around apprenticeships or not really genuinely the, i think I think our biggest problem is the inconsistency of delivery or provision, I should say. Well, and delivery, actually, you know, because we can go to, I won't name any particular schools, but we can go to a certain school that delivers a commercial or a quantity surveying apprenticeship at level three and four this year, go back to them next year with five more candidates. And they'll say, oh, no, we're not doing the level four anymore. Or we're not doing the level three because they didn't get the, they didn't get the quantity of people wanting to do that qualification. And it's for them, it's about the money. Yeah. So, you know, we want to build a, a, a catalogue of regular, reliable providers who deliver what we need them to deliver and, and consistently. And I guess you're national as well, which is part of the challenge, right? That, yeah, that you're, huge. You've got to deliver small numbers of learners all over the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in his pockets. You know, we're not on our own, though. You know, there are a lot of the other construction business working exactly the same sort of setup as us, yeah. just not necessarily the same sort of pockets of work. And do you go via the CITB for your selection of providers or are you going, you know, just doing your own search? No, we do it direct. I've got a very good early careers manager who works for me. I recruited her a couple of years ago. She came to me from a provider, an apprenticeship provider. So there's nothing she doesn't know about apprenticeships. And she's actually really good at holding providers to account, uh, making sure they're delivering what it, what they ought to be delivering in the way that they should be delivering them. And that sounds like we're beating a stick on, on the providers, but actually she does exactly the same to the learners and the managers. So, you know, we get, poor book is getting all runs up. <laughs> so, um, we're going to talk specifically about your manager's initiative in a bit, but tell us about the L&D function at Tilbury Douglas and, and what training you offer as well. Okay, so so what we're doing what we're doing right now is actually looking at the provision of so we've always done technical training. So we get an engineer who needs to do setting out course for engineers, organize it, no problem at all. We get people who need to do a confined space course, yeah, book it, no problem. They're commercially available fairly regularly, and like any company, we need our people to be qualified to do the jobs that they're employed to do or that they need to do and fill those roles. So that, that's one part of it. Let's just call that technical development, okay? There's also the personal development of it. So if we put somebody or we think someone's got the capability of becoming a supervisor or a manager, then actually we'll identify those people quite early and put them either through a level three qualification in leadership and management with the ILM or a level four. So they get the benefit of the learning and the development of it but they also because we do it in groups of 10 or 12 people at a time they also get the benefit of meeting people from around the business they wouldn't necessarily be sharing the same space with so you're building peer networks you're sharing best practice and it helps us get away from silo working which with the best will in the world is going to happen if you stay working within the middle of south wales for example yeah and having that sort of more rounded um overview of the company is going to be a positive thing and of course as you say you start to have build this internal network where you can pick the phone up and call someone in wales and you're based in birmingham and they're in a different department you've met them and you've 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 you know crossed paths that's that's always a good thing surely yeah it absolutely is i mean i'll give you a, i'll give you a small but silly example okay we, we like most people we used to use um, steel sheet to cover a, an excavation 
if, if there's a hole in the ground, put a steel sheet over it. Okay, you've probably walked over them, probably tripped yeah. over the edge of them, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And one of the businesses said, oh, we actually, one, one of the parts of the business turned around and said, well, actually, we use a yellow plastic thing now. And it's like yellow, so it's easily identified as opposed to sort of moulding into the same colour as the pavement around it. It stands out. It's just as resilient and as strong to take a foot, to, to cover a hole in a footway. And it's far cheaper than a big piece of sheet steel, sort of a quarter of an inch, half an inch thick. So mm. if we hadn't known about that, if they hadn't shared that bit of best practice, it would have happened in that area. And we've been still been spending and wasting time trying to carry heavy bits of steel around instead of lightweight plastic covers. Yeah, so it's that like cross pollination of ideas, isn't it? And yeah. Are you bringing people together virtually, or do you get them into like a you know a training academy or something like that? We we do both. We do both. So this 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 has to be a blend because at the end of the day, if I'm going to bring somebody into a, a training environment or a learning environment, and I prefer learning to training by the way because learning and educating people is different from training someone. I could train a dog to jump through a hoop, but I can't educate it as to why it's doing it. Yeah. So we, 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 but it wouldn't be worth me bringing people into a central location for half a day, for example. But if you've got a day of learning and, and the topic of learning as well, then actually then that's worthwhile, especially when you've got that group working together. Um, so, yeah, that'd be stuff we bring people together for. But we try and do it as conveniently as we can. What you mentioned earlier, you know, about the, the, the cover, um, you know, they're, they're the kind of water cooler moments that I guess my clients that are working remotely probably lose out on a lot now. That that kind of chat in the kitchen at work and, you know, that, that you can't really replace. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I've, I've, I've got my little office set up here like most people have had over the last couple of three years or whatever. You know, not the tidiest. I know, but I know where <laughs> everything is. So that's OK. Um, but when it comes right down to it, I, I don't, when it comes to it, I could get loads of work done when I'm sitting here. I get loads of work done. If I go into yeah. the office, it's a fraction, but I learn so much more about what's going on in the business. Yeah. And what's going on with individual people as well. And that we are a social animal when it comes right down to it. And I think we need that. So I think. The whole sort of working from home thing has been really good in terms of bringing us forward in the way that we use technology. We wouldn't be doing this, Nathan, five years ago. Yeah, exactly. So it's brought us forward, but it's also caused some problems for some people as well. I and mean, we've lost that social aspect of the working life. And I think it's actually difficult to do. And, and why a blend's probably the way to go anyway. However, this does actually segue quite nicely into what we talked about in the pre-interview. We discussed an initiative that you're launching at the moment, quite a big one, yeah. company-wide across Tilby Douglas. I think you've called it the Manager's Toolkit and this kind of slogan of Better Together. Tell us a little bit about that programme and really where the need to run it came from. One of the things that we wanted to do is understand why people were leaving our business within two, three, four years of, of joining us, given that we'd taken all that trouble and spent the time, spent the money, spent the time recruiting them in and all the rest. So we looked at, we did some exit surveys with a with a company, Great With Talent. I'm sure they won't mind me saying that, to be fair. <laughs> uh, and they set up, a, we have a starter survey and we have a lever survey as, as, as much as a, a staff engagement survey every year. But the lever survey has shown us that people leave within one to three or four years of being with us because they didn't feel as engaged with the business as they could be because nobody spoke to them about your next job could be if you take this pathway or if you did this, then your next job could be that or you have an opportunity to go here or go there and all the rest. So we put a number of tools in place at the time and one of them things was a, was a capability matrix basically for individuals to download spreadsheet, plug some scores against some defined criteria to find out whether you were requiring development in that particular area or you were performing for the right level for the job that you've got, or you were a gold star, you know? So mm -hmm. 
That served several different purposes. A, it tells me that uh, I need some development in a particular area of maybe commercial management. So if I look at the criteria, I can actually go to my line manager when I'm doing my appraisal every year and say, look, I know I'm failing on this one. We might agree that I'm failing on this one or not performing to the right level. Can you set me or can we set an objective that will give me the exposure and therefore the experience and therefore the capability to improve that particular skill so that when the next time they go back to the matrix, they can change that red to a green. They might even be able to change it to a gold because that was what was holding them back. And then when the next level of role comes up and the line manager looks across his capability matrix scoreboard, he could go, well, at Reese, look, he's scoring greens and golds across the way, whereas George down the road is only scoring a couple of greens and mostly reds or mostly green and a couple of reds. So if I'm looking at promoting somebody, I can look internally rather than just say, oh, we need to bring in a new managing quantity surveyor or whatever it is. So the, the whole thing was about this I don't have a conversation with my line manager about where my career is going. And that's because our line managers largely are still really, really focused on doing the job. But actually, their job, their responsibility is delivering the job. They've got people working for them are doing the job. And if we can keep those guys happy as a line manager, I'm not going to be distracted by having to interview for the next QS because the last one left after three years because we weren't giving them what they wanted and, and just carry on in the same sort of circle. So that's where the manager conversations came from. And originally it was about, you know, recognizing the type of conversation or, or just having a career conversation. That's how we started it. But then we recognized that actually there could be lots of different types of conversation. So it might be about, I don't know, it could be anything from I've got a mental health problem. I've got a health issue. I, I need to, uh, we're, we're going to have a baby, you know, all those sorts of things. It could be any topic of conversation. It might be a celebratory. It might even be a question of, I don't know whether to use a green pump or a brown pump in this particular situation. So the, the whole idea behind developing the training package wasn't about, this is how you talk to somebody about their career. It was around, this is how you recognize the type of conversation that whoever just knocked on your door wants to have with you. So how do you recognize that and how do you deal with it? So then realistically, it's going to turn into, turn into a, a supporting type of conversation, a developmental type of conversation or an enabling type of conversation. Mm. And then how to deliver that type of conversation, hold that kind of conversation every time you speak to somebody. Ultimately, I suppose the goal has to be things like, well, if I know what makes Reese tick, then I know you, whether to use a carrot with him or a stick or 70% stick. 30% carrot and so on and so forth. Yeah. So we get a better, a better performing, more satisfied team, reduced staff turnover, reduced cost. You um you talked before increased productivity, sorry. <laughs> so I mean we'll come on to that actually in a bit. I think Alex will develop that a bit about KPIs and how you're going to evaluate and stuff like that. Um tell us a little bit about how you're structuring the course then. And and I think you'd mentioned previously that you've got a hundred or so managers across all departments. Tell us a bit about that uh, and how they go through this program and over what time scale you're going to get everyone through it, I guess. Well, we, we've actually got about 400 people who have, oh. who have people responsibilities and the end goal would be to get all of them through this program. But clearly we need to prioritize and, and make it a worthwhile experience for all those who go through it. So it's two days. They, they will be back to back um, because actually, you know, you talked about the, the, the uh, water cooler conversations. It's actually the conversation in the bar mm. in the hotel <laughs> that leads to those sort of big discovery, those those gotcha moments or those light bulb moments or whatever you want to call it. Well, pre-10 o'clock at least anyway. 
Uh, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I couldn't possibly comment on your drinking habits, Nathan. I couldn't. <laughs> um, he's a bit of a lightweight in comparison to some of the blokes I used to know, to be fair, but there you go. Uh, so, yeah, so it, it's all about that. So it's not just the developmental part. It's, again, back to that peer group, best sharing practice and all the rest of it. It's, it's just... It just works all always up, to be fair. But what we don't want to do is say, right, we're going to deliver this in South Wales now. So it's just the South Wales group of managers because their manager is always going to be sitting around that table. Mm. So they turn around and say, well, I think that's a rubbish idea. You know, it's, it's not going to sit well, is it? So we're going to try and bring people in in almost groups of the similar level from different areas, bring them into a central location or as central as we possibly can anyway, uh, and, and deliver it that way. So that's the method of delivery so that we get more bang for our buck and a lot of unintended benefits, yeah. to be fair. And, and you mentioned it took a little while to get off the ground as well. I mean, what were the stages you had to go through and how long did it take, you know, in terms of liaising with senior leaders and and getting off the ground? Well, I, look, it, it's taken me probably the best part of 12 months to get this this sort of thing scoped out. What is it that we want? What is it we need? What do we want to deliver? How do we want to deliver it? And what's the content? So it's probably taken about 12 months from sort of drawing board to, and we're almost at uh, inception. In fact, just before I came on the call with you, I had a call from the provider and we're putting dates in the diary for this. So that will be happening now this year, which is great news. You know, it's really good news. And it's a good time for the business to be doing it as well. So yeah, they don't happen overnight. You come up with an idea, you have to sell the idea. It's, It's like any other sales pitch, to be fair. You've got to sell it to the business. And what they want to know is, a, how much is it going to cost me? B, where are the benefits? How am I going to realise those benefits? Uh, and what do the benefits look like? And like a lot of companies, we spend an awful lot of money with recruitment agencies right now. And 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 so how do you go about demonstrating like return on investment or, or outcomes from a programme like that? I think when it comes right down to it, Alex, it's bottom line stuff. Yeah. So if we're not replacing a, an apprentice or a graduate engineer or quantity surveyor or whatever it might be within them starting with the business within three years then actually that's that's a saving of five thousand pound a head yeah you know so realistically we it's not a great example to be fair because apprentices and qs bring any young person into the business there are some things that people want and we've had to sharpen our game on that as well you know you're never going to stop somebody being approached by one of our competitors and saying we'll give you another 10 15 thousand pounds to go down the road because at the end of the day, they're young people, you know, ten or fifteen thousand pound. Well, crikey, ten or fifteen thousand pound a year to me is a lot of money. If you're going to stick it on top of what you're already earning, so I, I, I do feel though that sometimes people regret making those choices. Our approach to it as a business is we we can't match ten or fifteen grand. Yeah. But if you want to come back, doors open because we have all we already know we know what we're losing. So you know if they want to come back, that's cool because. We all know we're all a little bit old, longer in the tooth. Sorry, well, Alex isn't quite as long in the tooth as, as I am. Uh, Getting there, or Nathan, <laughs> Nathan ain't either, actually. You know, but when it comes right down to it, I think we're probably old enough and, and sort of experienced enough to understand that the grass isn't always greener. You know, it's very counterintuitive to hear you say that the door is always open to come back as well, because you know a lot of employers just put the barriers up and you know you've left and you've betrayed and we don't want you back, kind of thing. See, I don't understand that thinking. No. Uh, because if I've invested three years of development costs and experience and understanding the individual and the rest of it, why would I not want them to come back if they if they choose to? If they come back and say, look, you know what? I might have made a bit of a mistake. Oh, come on, come in through the door. Let's have a chat. 
yeah let's have a conversation <laughs> and i guess at that three-year point you know like after they've been through all their onboarding and maybe their initial training, I mean that that's almost the most expensive time to lose them from the organisation because of all that investment. Oh, absolutely, it is. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. I mean, L and D as a um, you know as a retention tool, but also an, you know an attraction tool. I think it's pivotal because so many organisations will look at the recruitment fees that they pay, or the advertising spend, or their talent acquisition team spend. But it's it's far more than that that they they lose in terms of um, you know overall recruitment spend. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But you know, the, the trouble is the, the the recruitment spend is like a here and now, whereas the investment in an individual, time, money, courses, everything else, that's sort of done over such a period of time. And it isn't just the courses that you're giving them to take away. You're giving one of your competitors a very competent individual yes. potentially. Yeah. And they're getting the commercial you know, upside, you know, of having them in their well, business. Absolutely. But let's face it, I, you know, back in the day, if somebody, if I was given a company car, it was a Ford Fiesta or a Ford Fiasco, then and said, well, we've come down the road, Reese, we'll give you £5,000 a year more and a Ford Capri instead, mm. I'd have been off like a shot. Yeah. 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 So other than the obviously positive impact on recruitment and retention, do you, are you able to measure anything in terms of like uh, production output, you know, or like, commercial projects the gains on that side of things well look no one's going to be surprised by the fact by the statement that happy people are more productive in the working environment you know and i know that our teams out in the regions do an awful lot to sort of keep people not not keep them happy that's a bit too too twee to be honest with you but they do a lot to keep engaged with their teams so they might have a, a night out or a day of the races we have something called give a day of your time as well so give a day of your time is where a whole office or individuals in that office get I think it's actually two days a year to go and work for a charitable organisation and do something for them. Nice. So it might be that we go and uh, redevelop some uh, community allotments, for example, or we say we'll go and paint the local youth club for you, or we'll you know do some building works around the youth, put a new roof on the club, whatever it might be. So give a day of your time, or good doit as it's known. <laughs> so you will do my extension then. I didn't say when. I said we do the roof. <laughs> and only in one day. And you get one day. <laughs> with, with, with developing what Alex has asked you there, I mean, evaluating, well, one, I would imagine it's, you can't really evaluate this type of shift in culture and approach for a good few years. But what, yeah. how will you go about the metrics the you know the kind of how will you sit down and evaluate it? Will it be a presentation to your board or, or how, how does it work? Yeah, well, with that look at it, you know, we'll be able to take those exactly that number of people coming into the business, number of people leaving over the last period of time, and more importantly, or as importantly, the reasons why people are leaving. Mm. So we don't just look at this is the primary, you know, what's the primary reason for your leaving the business, um, career development, uh, promotion opportunity, whatever it might be. But there's also some free text in there, so people get an opportunity to to sort of. Uh, indicate their re- I'm trying to think of the right word I was going to say elucidate but that's probably not the right word it's a good word yes yeah, is it yeah word of the day yeah if I, could, if I could say it <laughs> I, I, was talk, I was talking to Joanna the, uh, the other day and I said because you, your role's peripatetic and she said it's what no <laughs> I, mean, I haven't heard that word in ages actually I guess since pandemic right 
peripatetic was always how you describe um like apprenticeship assessors who are going around different workplaces roaming yeah a roaming yeah. role yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i'm learning i'm just gonna listen to you two <laughs> i mean I, I, i'm hearing words i've never heard before in my life it's fantastic stick with me you'll hear words you have heard before but not <laughs> well I've, I've been on the building sites <laughs> yeah i've heard a few of those um so what does success look like for you personally, I guess, because obviously you're, you're um, you know, you've got your own career to think about. And, and for the organisation, what would success look like? Success for the organisation is around retaining people and, and sort of being able to develop them soon and go from that apprentice programme right through to, I don't know, regional director, person, member of the senior leadership team, you know, why not? Chief operations officer, chief executive. There's, there's always going to be that opportunity. I know it doesn't happen very often because there's only one of those and we might have 100 apprentices mm. or whatever it might be this year. But nevertheless, there is that career progression. If we can keep somebody for that time, then, you know, that's that's the goal, isn't it? You know, grow your own is, is one of one of the expressions we use at work. We want to grow our own so that when we get somebody coming into a, a management or a regional management position, then actually it's because they know the business. They know the people within the business. They know the industry. They know how we do it around here, to, to use common parlance. Yeah. And realistically, that benefits us in all sorts of ways because it helps us win work. And what about you personally? You know, What's your why? What's your purpose? What would you get from a successful programme being rolled out personally? Uh, do you know what? It sounds really twee and really clichéd, but I get a real kick out seeing people change their behaviours as a result of some education they've had. Mm. Mm. And then having the opportunity to go back and put it into practice. And then if they even turn around and say, do you know what, Reese? that really helped? Or even, well, again, it sounds to me, but if somebody just says, thank you for sorting that out. But if they say it had an impact on what I do and the way I do it, then that gives me the biggest kick of all, to be fair. I've seen, listen, Reese. I've seen you with all kinds of people at Tilbury Douglas and the way you communicate with everyone it's fantastic. I think it's a strength of yours. You know, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. You don't change. And I would imagine that's driven by wanting to see these. Well, we worked with a lot of young people with you guys. Yeah. Uh, wanting to see them get better and, and, and do well for themselves. And we met all kinds, if you remember, the first time. We, we did. Met, yeah, we did. You know, and some real sweet sweethearts, really, weren't they? Like real youngsters, no experience, tough backgrounds. And you literally were changing their lives. That that seems to me to be your why. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, the the young, the early careers one in particular. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about Lloyd. You know, guy yeah. who came from his, his in, up in Merthyr on the uh, Prince Charles Hospital there, that's it. and that's a brilliant po project, by the way, because that's an ex an exact example of what we're trying to achieve. We bring people in from the local community who are actually helping to build the hospital that's going to serve the local community. So you want engagement. You're not going to get much more engaged than mm. that because mm. my, my nana had a hip replacement in this hospital, you know, yeah. and, and our, my mum used to work here or whatever it might be. In fact, we've, we've got, have had so many people come to us because their mum worked there or well, just come, can I do a work experience placement? And I'm thinking one person in particular did a work experience placement, wanted to go to university. We sponsored her through university. She came back every summer and did a placement with us. She's just done a master's degree. And she's still with us. Well, that contribution will stick with them for life. You know, they'll turn around in 30 years and be like, I, I helped build that hospital. Absolutely. And I think actually in the video, one of the one of the young ladies says, I'm a Valley's girl. I live around you. Yes. Yeah. 
really touching. And again, where we saw firsthand, wow, these these people really do like working here. They and they believed in the social side. Uh, you know what what impact they're having on the community. It's because they care, Nathan. Yeah, yeah. they care. Good team in Murta. And if they're listening, I doubt they are, but if they're listening, we we had a fun shoot there and just the most lovely people. And in fact, I did go to South Wales last year for the first time um, on holiday after enjoying the valleys uh, in Murta. Murta, yeah. Murta, there you go. Interesting. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tell you, I don't know whether you've been told or not, you remember Lloyd that we were talking about earlier on. Yeah. So just for Alex's benefit, yeah. really, Lloyd came to us as part of... Uh, uh, something called a kickstart campaign that the government ran a couple of years ago now and actually we couldn't we didn't have anything that we could we could put him on he came in one particular type of role but he wasn't suitable for that so what we did was we actually found him a placement with one of our subcontractors and uh i think the comment I, you have to watch the video again but i think he said he just wanted to drive the big diggers didn't he that's what he that's wanted it. to do that's what he wanted to do <laughs> and he came in he he started with they gave him a job full time he went on. He's now he's now supervising other people and being promoted. And he's like, and you think to yourself, don't give me. There is no other success story that's going to top that. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That's a, yeah. that's exactly what makes it work. That's why you do what we do. When we post bits as we do bits of video on LinkedIn uh, from this, I should probably link to that video because uh, I mean, to this day, Lloyd brings tears to my eyes a little bit. Oh, no. Really. I can't watch it. I, I, well, I can watch it. Obviously, I can watch yeah. it. But you're right. It does. It brings a tear to your eye because it's such a great story. Hundred percent. And and for me, that's what the learning environment should be all about. Is yeah. is giving people opportunities and uh, and seeing them flourish. Uh, uh, he, he's such a good good lad. Such a good yeah. lad. Anyway, so we, we'll start to wrap this up. I mean, Alex always likes to finish being the recruitment guy that he is. Really, with sort of any sort of tips with career and opportunities for people. But I guess. Going back to the project, the, the manager's toolkit project, what would be your sort of key tips in terms of getting new ideas, uh, you know, up the chain, bought into by the business and then rolled out? What would be your five tips there or few tips there? few tips would simply be find out what it is that the business needs. And if you're designing a program to satisfy the business, make sure that it satisfies those needs, because if it, if it if it solves a problem they don't if they they don't have they're not going to be mm. interested because it does take money and time to invest in those things so i've actually got a couple of questions one of them is a little bit left field because i know you're big into sport reese and and you're oh, a rugby yeah. referee as well and i, I wonder <laughs> yeah. you know what what you take from that side of your life and bringing you know to your professional life uh genuinely uh rugby probably gave me more development in terms of managing people and how to talk to people than any other training course I could possibly have been on. Because if you're trying to help facilitate an environment for 30 hooligans, yeah. potential hooligans, uh, without them actually killing each other, then, you know, and you can do that. And if you come off with 31 of you having a good time at the end of it or in, having enjoyed the experience, win, lose or draw, then, you know, that's that's a success in its own right. So I, I, I coach referees as well now. So I, I, I coach. I'm coaching three referees at the moment. Right. Um, I've got uh, one young man who's doing very well for himself. He's gone from level. I know this doesn't mean an awful lot to anybody, but basically, he's gone from being a starter referee to refereeing regionally uh, in, in terms of the progression. So they referee locally. They go on to regional. They go on to national. He's refereeing regionally within twelve months of him starting uh, refereeing with me so so we've been able to develop him i'm coaching a young lady 
she's just gained her confidence has has blossomed over the last 12 months and she's now a far better referee because of that because she now is not she was very self-critical and actually she asked me a question she said I call them guys and this that and the other when I'm talking to them on the pitch and I do this and I said would you talk to people at work like that if you were managing them and she's like well no and I said well you're managing these people in their working environment yeah so it's exactly the same. You just transfer the skills between the two environments, and it works. Yeah. Just quickly, though, Alex, I could I could uh, shed some light on that question as well. I've actually seen Reese give um, his assistant a ten yard penalty for bringing in a, a folder that was wrong. <laughs> so that that's how that's how the crossover works. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you, Reese, for your time. Oh, you're welcome. We'll wish you luck um, with your program. Uh, when are you rolling it out? By the way, is it has it started or is it? coming up no we've just got approval for that um so that that's going to go ahead now sort of uh quarter second quarter so we will start delivering it we can't deliver obviously we've got to give managers notice because their diaries get so full yeah so uh, we need to give them a bit of notice as well um so we'll probably be rolling that out from the beginning of may around the bank holiday around the coronation yeah. there you go. And, and this is this is sort of two days uh residential is it we didn't really touch on that earlier it's two days yeah, residential. yeah it will be the the, the, the provider we're, we're using for this is uh, a, a long-standing uh, provider that we've used before clue learning and development in in leicester uh their base is literally on the campus of of a what used to be a trust house forte hotel it's now a I don't actually know what it is at the moment. It's, a, it's still a hotel anyway. Um, so they can literally walk across the car park from the hotel to the learning environment and, and back. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's that opportunity to spend time together as much as anything else in the learning environment as well as the social environment later on. Well, at the top of the show, we did promise you another honest and candid interview. And uh, Reese didn't disappoint, did he, Alex? No, he certainly didn't. You know, just hearing the way... Uh, that he talks about the culture at Tilbury Douglas and how approachable the management team are and even, you know, how they view people that leave and later return to the company. It's it's so refreshing. Yeah, and we've worked with Reese a number of times and there's a real, a real sort of family atmosphere there. We've been around the HQ and, and the construction sites and we've met people from all levels, those with kind of muddy boots on and those with ties on and, and often both, I guess. And to tell you the truth, I don't think I've ever seen Reese bump into someone he hasn't had a bit of banter with, whoever they are. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to talk to someone in L&D who gets how integral L&D is to both retention and attraction of staff. I mean, you only have to look at the videos that, that you shot on their careers site, um, you know, to get a feel for the for the culture and, and how important that is. So that's show number five done, Alex. Uh, but who have we got lined up for future episodes? Well, as you mentioned earlier, we've got Di from, from St. James's Place Wealth Management, um, and she's uh, fresh from a gold and silver at the, the Learning Awards. Um, and we've got Paul Callahan from, from Medigedu Apprenticeships, who's coming on to talk, uh, tell us a bit more about the apprenticeship levy and, and how it can be used in, in L&D. And someone else, actually, a lot of our listeners will probably already know from her Facebook group, Progress Place, Katie Walton, 